We are in Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. And we'll overlap again. I'll pick it up reading from the beginning. We'll overlap again uh, uh, just so we get the context of this. Um, let's start reading in verse 3. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So now Romans chapter 4, verse 4. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited to him as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing on the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from the work, from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Is this blessing then on the circumcised or on the uncircumcised also? For we say faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it credited? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while uncircumcised, so that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised, that righteousness might be credited to them, and the father of the circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but also follow in the steps of in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham, which he had while uncircumcised. Okay, so what's he getting at here? He is trying to underscore the point that it is by faith that we are justified. By faith, not by works. This is something that all believers struggle with. Not just the believers there in, 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 in the church in Rome. The church in Rome, it was predominantly now a Gentile church with some Jews among them, but predominantly Gentile. And he was speaking to them and he's teaching and instructing them. And he wants them to know that their justification is by faith. So he takes the example of Abraham. So he uses the testament of scripture to justify his point. And he says, it says of Abraham, verse 3, For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and was credited to him as righteousness. So some might argue, well, when Abraham lived, it was pre-Mosaic law. It was before the law. Remember, it was 400 years from Abraham until until Moses came and they, they came out of Egypt. So it was 400 years between this time of Abraham and when the law was going to come. So he says, oh, okay, well, what about David? He says, David lived under the law. In fact, it was about 300 or 350 years between the time that the law was given and that David came. And so the law was well into practice by the time David came along. And he quotes Psalm 32, verse 1 and 2. And if you read in verse 6, it says, just as David speaks of the blessing, the blessing, that word blessing, you're going to see that word blessing four times in four verses. Just as David speaks of the blessing of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and those whose sins have been covered. 
blessing is on the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Is this blessing then on the circumcised or on the uncircumcised also? For we say, faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. So he says, David's speaking of the same thing. David doesn't say, hey, blessed is everyone who keeps every detail of the Mosaic law. He says, blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven. Remember, the first step in salvation is realizing that we are sinners. Realizing that we are sinners. And, uh, and he says, blessed is the man who realizes that his, his, his lawless deeds have been forgiven. It is such a blessing to know that God forgives us. It is such a blessing that he does not hold this over us, that he does not take into account, that he does not have a booklet of all our sins. Those have been wiped away in Jesus Christ. It is a real treasure that we have that, that all of this has been wiped away in Jesus And he says it is a blessing. And so he gives the example of David, and then he pops right back to Abraham, so we can put that to rest, that it's David was teaching the same thing. And he says, now, did Abraham receive this blessing? Did Abraham, was it said of Abraham, as it says in verse 3, and Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Did he receive that while circumcised or while uncircumcised? And... So that's in, that's quoted verbatim from Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. Abraham was not circumcised until Genesis chapter 17. The time between Genesis chapter 15 and Genesis chapter 17 is 14 years. So 14 years before he was circumcised, because a Jew could argue, well, the, the, the circumcision was an act, and it is. And he was justified because of that. No. Fourteen years before he was circumcised, it says that his faith was credited to him as righteousness. So he does away with all of this stuff. It's not based on works. It is based on faith. And then he goes on down and he says, verse 12, and the father of the, and the father of circumcision to those who not only are the circum, uh, are, are of the circumcision, but who also follow in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham, which he had while circumcised. The the New Testament over and over again refers to Abraham, interestingly, as Father Abraham. Many times in the New Testament. So if you interpret that Jesus said, call no man father, and therefore the Catholic Church is somehow really bad because they call people father, what do you do with Father Abraham? Because the New Testament itself calls Abraham, Father Abraham, many, many times over and over. So maybe just this thing that when Jesus said, call no man father, maybe he means something deeper than what we will just take at face value. I just throw that out there. Uh, because the New Testament just seems to blow apart theologies when we look at it. And, and, uh, um, so anyway, he calls him Father Abraham. So it says, it says that, that he becomes then our father. He's the father also of the uncircumcised. And he's really going to underscore this. These blessings, these blessings that have come to Abraham are not for the Jews only. This is what he's doing. He says, the Gentiles, God welcomed them in because he received this blessing. While he was uncircumcised, this is for the Gentiles also. God was foreseeing a time when the Gentiles would be coming in. And this is a time of blessing for the Gentiles as well. So in verse 13 of of Romans chapter 4. 
For the promise to Ab- for the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be heir of the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So, wh- when was there promise to Abraham that he would be that he would be heir of the world? Well, actually, the promise to Abraham initially was that he was going to get a certain amount of land. In fact, the initial thing in in Genesis chapter twelve, what is it was going to be for his descendants. And then later on in Genesis, it extended not just to Abraham's descendants. He says, everywhere you set your foot, that'll be yours, Abraham. And then the blessing came further. He said, it's going to be from the river Euphrates, which is where Iraq is, to, to all the way to that, that uh, river of Egypt, which is the easternmost delta river of, uh, of, um, uh, uh, that it's at the top of the Nile, at the northernmost point of the Nile. That's all going to be your land. And Israel has never had that much land. That will come to them in the last days. That will come. And that promise will be fulfilled. But heir of the world? Well, that was sort of the known world. But heir of the world? That's Jesus. In his descendants, the Jesus' descendant, boom, it's all in Jesus. Jesus, this world has been given to our Lord Jesus. So that's where it's been fulfilled. And and uh, it was through the righteousness of faith. Verse 14, for if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise is nullified. For the law brings about wrath, but where there is no law, there also is no violation. So he says, if this were based on the law, boom, it's over. Because no one has fulfilled the law. Remember, you violate one law, you're guilty of them all. That's what it says in James. You violate one part of it, you're guilty of it all. We looked at that last time. And so he says here, he says that that uh, um, uh, if it were based on the law, everything is nullified. But it's based on faith. It's all based on faith. Where there is no law, I am so glad I'm not under the law of Moses, the 613 commandments. It is hard to be an Orthodox Jew. Really hard. And they're only observing about one-third of those commandments because two-thirds revolve around temple worship and there is no temple to worship in right now. And even living under that one-third is very, very hard. I'm so glad that I'm freed from that, that Jesus has freed us from that. For the law brings about wrath, but where there is no law, there is no violation. How does the law bring about wrath? Because there's disobedience. And we're going to learn about that. We're going to learn what the law does. Because when the law says, thou shall not, our flesh says, oh yes, I will. And when the law says, you shall do this, our flesh says, oh no, I won't. You just, it just, it just, it just sets us up to violate. Why did God do that? So that they could see how utterly sinful they were. And that we can look at our own lives and see we are utterly sinful. Because the first step in salvation is realizing that we are utterly sinful. And we think we're pretty good. Well, compare yourself to that law and tell me how you do. That's what he says. Verse 16. For this reason, it is by faith in order that it may be in accordance with grace, so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So so Abraham is the father of us all. And uh, uh, so if you think, oh, well, Jews, you know, they're descendants of Abraham, so good for them. Well, Gentiles too. If you are in Christ, he is, Abraham becomes the father of us all. That's what it says. That's what it says. And and it says that in verse 16, it is, says it is by faith 
in order that it may be according to grace. Grace is an undeserved gift. It's an undeserved gift, and you receive that through faith. So that the promise, so, so that the promise will be guaranteed. This promise is guaranteed to all the descendants. The promises here are guaranteed. It's guaranteed in Jesus. And then it says, in verse 17, as it is written, a father of many nations I have made you. So when God made that promise to Abraham, he had no idea the extent of this. And then we find out that after after uh, um, Sarah, his wife, dies, he marries Keturah, and he has a number of other sons, which become leaders of nations. And Esau became a leader of a nation. And we think that that's the composite of the the the, the uh, father of many nations. And God says, no. It was even bigger than that, even bigger than what Abraham realized in his lifetime. He's the father of many nations, if I made you. He's speaking of the Gentiles as well. In the presence of him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. Oh, this is amazing. God gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. Who can do that? Tell me, who can do that but God? God gives life to the dead and he calls into being that which does not exist. I know many of you don't even think much about this. I think about this all the time. All the time. And I'll tell you why. Because I, I'm on like the front lines of origin of life discussions. And and uh, um, even if you're given all the basic components of a cell, all the nucleic acids, all, all the proteins, all the lipids, and, and all the carbohydrates, the four classes of molecules, even if you're giving all of those, can you assemble a cell? The answer is no. Can anybody assemble a cell from those? The answer is no. Nobody knows how to do that. Because the complexity of the assembly is so great. So let's say it happened to be all assembled, just wasn't living yet. Will it then just spontaneously start living? The answer is no. How do I know that? Because you take a cell that has just died. Just died. Everything's about in place. It just died. One nanosecond ago. Can you bring that back to life? The answer is no. We don't know how to make a cell live. So everything's right in place. God brings life to the dead. God's able to do that. We can't even do that if everything's in place. He gives, who gives life to the dead, and what he's speaking about here, who gives life to the dead, he's going to show how Abraham and Sarah were effectively dead as far as bearing children. Because Abraham was a hundred at this point, and Sarah was, was, uh, uh, ninety. Alright? And, and, uh, um, now, fourteen years earlier, fourteen years later, earlier when he was eighty-six, he did have, through, through, uh, uh, through Hagar, he did have, have, um, Esau. Uh, he did, did have Ishmael. I'm sorry, Ishmael. He did have Ishmael. And I should have said Ishmael earlier as well. So he, he had Ishmael. And so, so, uh, but now he's a hundred and says his body was dead to be able to have children. And Sarah's was long dead. She was 90 years old. Okay, so, so, and you say, well, at 86, was he really able to do that? R- remember, he's a hundred at this point and, and 86, 86 then is like, you know, the 50 now. I mean, it's, it's, it, I mean, he was, he was amazing. So, but, then it says, and he calls into being that which does not exist. Do most people think about that verse? No! But I think about that all the time. 
He calls into being that which does not exist. How do you do that? How do you do that? Isn't there this law of conservation of mass and energy? I mean, E equals MC squared. I mean, think about this. Energy equals the mass times the speed of light squared. So, in order to get mass, you've got energy divided by the speed of light squared. Speed of light is a big number. Remember, that's a big number. 3 times 10 to the 8th meters per, per second. So, that's a big number. Squared. That's in the denominator. The numerator is energy. In order to get any mass, you've got to have an enormous amount of energy. God. God is the only one that can do this. He's the only one that can do this. Does anybody get that? I mean, don't you think about that? Isn't that amazing? The amount of energy that it takes to generate mass is enormous. It says, he calls into being that which does not exist. Nobody can do that. If something does not exist, you can't make it exist. God does that. That is our God. He's so amazing. He brings life to the dead and he calls into being that which does not exist. And that he he does this all the time. You want to take it with life? I mean, he's about to do that by by Isaac. He's going to take the dead and he's going to call into being that which does not yet exist, Isaac. And he does it all the time. Every time there's the birth of a child, he's called into being Life that does not exist. He's amazing. It's just amazing. And and, uh, he calls into being that which does not exist. But he does that also with mass. He calls it into being that which does not exist. So you got to have this enormous amount of energy to do this. And then he says in verse 13, In hope against hope, he believed. This This is Abraham. He believed so that he might become a father of many nations according to that which has been spoken. So so shall your descendants be. You know, so what happened was he took he took Abraham outside. I mean, it's, it's just amazing what he did to, to Abraham. It, it's such a beautiful passage. So if you, if you go out to... Um, to um, Let me find this passage here. Okay. Look in, in, in Genesis chapter 15. It is so beautiful. So this is what he's doing in Genesis chapter 15. So in Genesis chapter 15, um, God says, I'm really going to bless you, Abram. And Abram says, um, how can you bless me since I have no offspring? He says, he says uh, everything that I have is going to go to one of my servants. He says, I have no child. And so, look, look at what God does. It says in, in, in Genesis chapter 15, verse 4, Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body shall be your heir. So, one of your actual descendants. Now, there was no promise about Sarah yet. The promise that is going to come through Sarah as well comes later. He doesn't tell Abraham who it's going to come through. At this point, he says, it's going to come through you. He didn't name the woman yet. And then he says in verse 5, he says, And he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you're able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. 
Then he believed the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. There was this quiet confidence at this point. So think about what God did. God said, "Some from your own body is going to come your descendant. And then he says, I want to show you something. Look in verse 5 of Genesis chapter 15. And he took him outside. How did God take him outside? So Abraham's in his tent. How did God take him outside? Did he pick him up and carry him? Did he take him by the hand and lead him? Did he appear and say, come on, come on, it's okay, come on, come on. We don't know. But all we know is God took him outside. Look at the fellowship here. God took him out. He said, I want to show you something, Abraham. I want to show you something. And he takes him outside. And God probably made that night crystal clear. Just crystal clear. He says, now look up at the stars. He says, look toward the heavens and count the stars if you're able to count them. Uh, you want me to count those stars? Yeah, start counting. Do you ever try to count stars? It's really, really hard. And so what astronomers have done for many years is they take a picture and then they circle. It's the only way you can do that because it's hard just doing that because you're like, did I count that one? Did it? And you say, is that a star? Isn't that a star? Is that, is that, yeah, I think it's a light. And, and uh, you're trying to look for it. He says, count the stars. If you're able, I got all the time in the world. Start counting. If you're able, that's how your descendants are going to be. And it says, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him. It was credited to him as righteousness. That's the promise that God gave him. That's the promise that, that, that was given to him. And it says, so shall your descendants be. And so in verse 19 of, this is back in Romans chapter 4, verse 19. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet, with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but he grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. This verse, verse 20, and yet, with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. So you might think, you might think, wow, he, his faith grew, and then he started giving glory to God. That's how that would read. But that's not how it really reads. If you look in, in the literal translation, it says in, in, of, of Romans chapter 4, verse 20, and at the promise of God, did not stagger in unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, having given glory to God. He gave glory to God and he was strengthened in faith. He gave God glory and that strengthened his faith. You see the difference there? When I glorify God, when I praise Jesus for all that he's done in my life, it strengthens my faith. I talk about Jesus all the time, how he's the best, the best, the best in every way. Jesus is so good. You know what that does? It strengthens my faith. When I give glory to God, it strengthens my faith. That's exactly what it says here. He gave glory to God and it strengthened his faith. Your faith is weak, give glory to God. Start praising God for everything you have. Do you have eyes? 
Praise God for it. Do you have ears? Praise God for it. Do you have legs? Praise God for it. Do you have a book bag to carry your books? Praise God for it. Do you have a car? Do you have a roof over your head? Do you have food? You praise God for it. You know what that will do? It will strengthen your faith. Instead of moping around and thinking all the bad things in my life. Oh, I could just list the bad things. I'll bet you could list more good things than bad things. I'll bet you really could. All right, write down a list of all the bad things in your life and then write down all the things that you have in your life. Just look around your room and say, thank you for that book, thank you for that lamp, thank you for that, that tablecloth, thank you. And just start writing. I'll bet you have more to thank God for than you do to, to complain about. It will strengthen your faith. And that's what he did. He gave glory to God and it strengthened his faith. Verse 21, and having been fully assured of what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Therefore, it was also credited to him as righteousness. I mean, Paul keeps repeating this over and over again. Because Abraham really believed it. Abraham really believed it. He really believed that he was going to have a son. And then later on, when he revealed, it's not through Hagar. It's through Sarah. Sarah? She's old. You know, it's through her. Through her. Okay. And he really believed it. And he held on. That was the 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 the, uh, uh, the content of his faith. The object was God. The content was, you're going to have a son. And he is going to be, through that son, you're going to have descendants more than those stars. Then you can count. That was the content of what he had to believe. And he really believed it. He held on to that and he didn't let it go. Even though he hoped against hope. I mean, he looked at his body. He's like... Now, you guys are young. You know, as, as you get older, you, you look at yourselves and you go... <laughs> and uh, um, so, so he's looking at himself. He's 100 years old. And he's, but it didn't shake his faith. He really held on to that. That's what it says. He really held on to this thing. And then it says in verse 23, Now, not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sake also to whom it will be credited as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He who was delivered over because of our transgression and was raised because of our justification. He said these things were not written about Abraham just so that we could go, oh, that's a nice story. No, this is for our life. This is our life. This is why Moses says to the children of Israel, this is not an idle word for you. Indeed, it is your life in Deuteronomy 36. This is not an idle word for you. It is your life. Indeed, it is your life. This is our life. When we read the story of Abraham, Paul's saying, this is not just for Abraham. This is for you. I've written this. God says, I've written this for you. He's not giving just us just a bunch of stories. Your life isn't a mess. Well, welcome to the world of being a sinner. We have two natures within us. And we're going to learn a lot about that in this book. Two natures. Our own nature is sinful and corrupt. And it gets us in all sorts of problems in our life. And you can sit there and suck your thumb and wallow in it. 
Or you can say, no, I'm going to believe God's promises. I'm going to believe them. And I'm going to walk in them. And so he says here, he says in verse 23, Now not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sake also, meaning that we can be credited for righteousness if we believe God. What do we believe God for? Because he had to believe God that he would have a son. The object of his faith was God. The content was that he was going to have a son. The object of our faith is God. The content is different. Here's the content. He tells us, But for our sake also, to whom it will be credited, as to those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. The content of our faith is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the content of our faith. And that's why it says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, You are saved. When you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that He has risen from the dead. That is the content of our faith. That Jesus has risen from the dead. He who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, He was delivered over because of our transgression. Jesus was delivered to death because of our transgression. He died on the cross for our sin. And he was raised because of our justification. Because he was raised from the dead, we can stand justified. Because Jesus rose from the dead. The content of our faith that we need to hold on to is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I am not having faith because of my success over sin. It's over. It's over. If it has to do with my success over sin. But the content of my faith and my salvation is banked on this. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Because of that, because of that, I can succeed. Because of that, I win. Because Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Because of that. And that's the content of what I have to hold on to. That's the content of what you have to hold on to. That Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And the truth of His resurrection, the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, is already on your heart. It's already there. And we are asked to embrace what's already there. The truth of the resurrection that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. He, as those who believe in Him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, He who was delivered over because of our transgression, and was raised because of our justification. That is the content of our faith. It is all because of Jesus. This work that Jesus did on the cross, it all is because of Him. It is because of Jesus. It is because of Jesus I stand. It is because of Jesus I succeed. It is because of Him. And to the extent that I take hold of that and make that a part of my life is to the the extent that I will go on. Abraham believed God. He looked at his own body. He said, this is dead. He says, for Sarah? Oh. Her? But he believed God. Okay, God. Okay. Okay, God. I mean, Hagar was a lot younger. (laughs) You want to do it through her? Okay. All right. And it says he believed God. He looked at the deadness of his own body. He says, there's no way. But he believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. You look at yourself, and you'll say, 
through me, through me you're going to do this? I mean, you, you don't know how, how messed up my life is. You don't know how much I've messed this thing up. It's not based on the deadness of me. It is based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is everything about what God did through His Son, Jesus Christ. Forever and ever and ever and ever, we shall forever praise Jesus for what He did. His resurrection from the dead. He had power to lay His life down. He had power to take it up again. And He took it up because God gives life to the dead. And he calls into being that which does not exist. There was no life there. Boom, he called it forth. There was no life there, and he called it forth. He is able to do that over and over again. He does that. He takes the deadness of our bodies, and he calls us forth to life. And he takes us in our state of weakness, and he can do tremendous things through your life. You think about this. Oh, get hold of this. He can do tremendous things through your life. And you will, you will pick this thing up and then you'll go through these, these times where you think, I just so blew it. Could God ever use me? The answer is yes. Could God ever use me? Yes. He can do it. Because it depends on Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we have life also. Let's pray. Abba, you are so beautiful, so wonderful in every respect. Thank you for coming in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the work that Jesus did. Because of him, we have life. We have life because of him. Because of him, the promise has been given that we can be justified through faith that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead to believe upon that simple fact that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He was buried and he rose on the third day. He rose on the third day according to the scriptures. Jesus rose from the dead. Because you give life to the dead and you call into being that which does not exist. Blessed be your name, O Lord. Blessed be your name. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you have done. Thank you, Lord, that these these accounts of Abraham were written for us to encourage us, to show us what you could do. Thank you, Lord Jesus, when we look at the deadness of our own bodies, at the deadness of ourselves, and we say, could there be hope for us? And indeed there is, because Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Father, for those here who do not know you, Lord, I pray for their salvation, that they would indeed come to know you. I pray, Lord, for their salvation, that they would indeed come to know you. Lord, that they would know that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead and embrace that. Lord, draw them to Jesus, I pray. And Lord, there are people in this very room that are struggling that have made such disasters of their lives, they wonder, could I ever be used? And the answer is yes, yes, yes. Because Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, you shall live also. Do a wonderful thing through their lives, I pray. Raise them up also. 
for the glory of Jesus, that Jesus Christ may be glorified through their lives. And I commit this to you, my blessed Lord Jesus. Amen.